0: Hey, everyone, we just want to acknowledge here before we get started that um, my audio on this end is is not great. Um, Brad's audio is, is good. Uh, we sent everything to an audio engineer and, and they tried to clean it up as best they could. Unfortunately, there was a loose connection on my end on my microphone and my my audio is just uh, kind of grainy and echoey. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, when you get a guest like Brad Wall, Um, you make do with what you have because he doesn't do a lot of these and and we couldn't be happier to have him so uh, forgive the uh, the bad audio on my end but I have a sneaking suspicion that's not why most of you are here please enjoy the show
1: just before we get started the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Piikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations, and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in Southern Alberta. But with that out of the way, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Second Act Podcast. Say we have a guest who comes from a very different background as opposed to some of the other guests we've had on before, hey?
0: I would say, yeah, uh, Brad Wall, the former premier of Saskatchewan, is uh, a little bit different than, than a lot of the guests that we've had. Uh, if for no other reason, than he doesn't do a lot of media. He's kind of quiet and does his own thing, and uh, he he was gracious enough to, to spend some time with us.
1: Yeah, it was... Um Really interesting listen to to see how, even though he had this platform and stuff, he kind of chose to give it up because the time felt right, which I feel like a lot of people may not think is something they would do in that situation.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And and obviously you've had a chance to listen to the podcast. Uh, what, what, what What is something about the pod that stood out to you?
1: Well, just when he's talking about some of the opportunities he's had because like he's, he has some very uh, gifted children. His son is actually in the music business, and through a series of events, uh, Bradwell actually ended up buying a car that was originally owned by Waylon Jennings, and he's he talks about how the leather's all ripped, but he's not changing the seats just because Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings sat in that car, sat on those seats, you know?
0: Yeah, that was an interesting one. I thought it was pretty cool to hear him talk about uh, a car that has a lot of sentimental value, and and he's done the work. He he can definitely verify um, all all the claims about it. And yeah, to your to your point, uh, you know, he does have some some children who are very uh, gifted and and make a living doing artistic ventures, and and it's interesting to see uh, how the the children of a of a civil engineer and a politician uh, are so creative and, and he, you know, he loves talking about him as, as parents do, but uh, we should just uh, take this opportunity to, to turn it over to Brad. I mean, he, he mentions that he doesn't do a lot of this type of stuff in here and uh, he was gracious enough to spend some time with us. So without any further ado, the former premier of Saskatchewan, Brad Wall.
2: Thanks very much, Corey. Happy to be here.
3: Brad, it's really interesting that, uh, so I, I'm born and bred Saskatchewan boy, I grew up in Carrot River, Saskatchewan, moved out to Alberta kind of right before you, you know, became the premier, I, I moved out here in 03. Um, oh, you missed, think, you missed all the fun then. Well, it's interesting. So I'm from Carrot River, Saskatchewan, uh, you know, we have an MLA from Carrot River that we all know, Fred Bradshaw, and and that was like a real kind of hotbed for what you guys were doing, and uh, and I was one step removed in a very you know, uh, different, different politically charged space of Alberta. So it's interesting for me to kind of voyeuristically look and see what happened throughout your career and then what you've done since. And and realistically, um, there there's, you know, there's a, a little bit of a disconnect about being so public for so long and now you're, you're really not. And, uh, and it's the really not part that, that the Second Act podcast tries to talk about. Uh, anybody can go on on Google and Wikipedia and find out about the stuff that happened kind of while you were in the public eye, uh, but but you have so much else going on in your life, and I, I'd really like to have an opportunity to chat with you about that.
2: Well, I'm happy to happy to be here with you on the on the podcast and happy to have that discussion. You know, I'll I'll just say that uh, uh, the Carrot River constituency uh, was one that got a lot of focus both when I first started as an MLA. And then after I became leader of the party in 2004, the ides of March 2004, by the way, maybe not the best timing to become a leader, of a political leader, but it, it uh, I guess it worked out in the end. Uh, but for a very, very sad reason, uh, Carrot River is always top of mind for me. Uh, and it, it, it maybe kind of relates to the topic that we're going to discuss today. Because when I was first elected in 1999, one of the the, the youngest and brightest of the new saskatchewan party MLAs was from that constituency carl kwikowski yeah and um carl and i became we we're kind of the, roughly the same age i think carl's a bit older but we both had young families uh and carl it was evident very quickly after he got elected would be he acquitted himself very well that he would be a uh, he would be a leader uh, should the sask party government uh, the sask party ever form government he would he was going to be front and center. He already was in opposition, a very effective critic, and uh, and we became friends. He was closer, perhaps, with other caucus colleagues that were geographically closer to him, but we did become friends, probably because we're about the same age. And and he uh, he tragically took his life, uh, and um, you know, it it I often think of, I often think of that. We don't know. We don't know what's going on uh, with so many of our our, our close friends and, and sometimes maybe not so close friends, but people that we think we know reasonably well. We just don't know. Everything everything on the surface would seem to indicate that you know their their lives are going um, exactly as they wanted them to go. Um, that they were living their dream. Certainly, a lot of us that were young and involved in politics were we're doing we, we we're living our dream. That's what we really. That's what I wanted to do since grade six. And it it is a reminder to me, I think of Carl often, it's a reminder to me uh, of the importance, obviously, of mental health uh, and also um, the importance of the pursuit of happiness, you know, uh, um, which is a phrase that's oft used, but we don't think about it a little bit. You know, everyone knows some of the old cliches or tropes about how, you know, if you're, uh, if you enjoy what you're doing, you never work a day in your life, but it's so very true. Uh, And so sometimes in a career, even though, it's the dream career you had. You recognize that, uh, for the sake of uh, those that you work with uh, and for, and but also for yourself, that it, uh, it's time for a change, um, so that you can continue the pursuit of happiness. Uh, so, not to start the podcast on a down note because Carl was, and really an inspiration. But uh, that constituency, I, I think of it often, for because a friend obviously was now in cabinet, and he's the highways minister. Uh, Alan Kirpin was in a up there for a bit and then and then of course my friend Carl who I, I think about as well
3: yeah well and it's uh it's I, I know Fred gets a, a pretty good ribbon around um being the highways minister up in that neck of the woods um I, I'm not sure that's uh there's a less thankless job uh, in Saskatchewan <laughs> and the amount of highways we have uh, versus population base but that's that. this is not a, a political podcast right uh, we, right. we don't need to go down. So, so you you, met, you do touch on a couple of things, and I mean, obviously, you can't spend as much time uh, in your in your profession as you did without enjoying it. But obviously, there were things outside of it that were calling you. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it was a surprise. I, I think from from outside of Saskatchewan, it was a little bit of a surprise when you stepped down. But I mean, you were still young and, and effective, and things. You know, you you guys had done all this work and laid the groundwork to now was t- to start to reap some of those benefits in, in, in 2017, and, and you stepped away. So that that must mean there were other things going on, um, Brad, that that you decided you needed to spend a little more time with.
2: Well, Gordon, I had always said, well, not always, I guess, but said often enough that even one of the people in the, in the media in Saskatchewan remember that I had said when we were first elected, um, sort of, I guess, prognosticating on my own career, I had said, if I'm fortunate enough to serve for 10 years, a decade, that would have meant we would got elected and reelected a couple times that would probably be a a, a pretty good opportunity to reassess things. Um, And, uh, and I, as it turns out for once, I was right, 10 years, you know, 12 or 13 year old uh, years ago, Brad was right. It was the right time. Um, The last budget that I was a part of was probably one of the public policy moments I'm most proud of, uh, even though it was a very unpopular budget, very difficult, but we just had decided after, Years of low commodity prices that we needed to get off of the dependence on natural resource revenue. Uh, and to do that, we needed to make up some cuts. We needed to get the province back on a trajectory towards balanced budgets after all, you know, again, three or four years of really low commodity prices and much lower revenue to government. So we I, I thought I, you know, if I'm not running again in the next election, and that much I think I'd already decided then I shouldn't leave it to the new leader to have to do this, to have to bring into Buckley's mixture budget, you know, that tastes awful, but I think it's going to work in the long yeah. term. So, so we did that. And I guess that's when I was, you know, there was some great, you know, tough things we did in the budget in terms of on the expenditure side, we did some things in the PST side that, you know, nobody was holding a ticker tape parade about either. But I think, uh, the, 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 my, my successor in his government, Scott and his colleagues have, sort of improved on the plan actually. And then and before the pandemic, it got things back to balance and, and we're gonna be in a good shape coming out of it as a result, I think, because of their good work and their improvement to that plan. But I had thought, I've been thinking about that. And you know, so much about politics, uh, at least for me, I thought it was very important to go through a, a bit of a routine every summer. And it was more than a routine. It was part of our, part of how, you know, we wanted to provide some leadership and, and, and uh, how we wanted to include people in that process. Was a summer tour uh, all around the province, and you meet, you go up, you know, up to the northeast where you're from. You go all the way over the north. You you try to cover the whole province, including the north. Listen to leaders, listen to uh, local governments, and uh, and find out where what you're getting wrong, and and maybe get some ideas for improvement. And it's a very, it was very important for us to continue to do that, both as individual MLAs and for me as leader and when I when I thought when I wasn't looking forward to that tour as much as I was in the past, that was also an indication that maybe it was time for something else. So it wasn't something that I guess I I I just think that it was a that the the 10 year window was uh, horizon was the right one to for me to have forecast way back in 2007. It it turned out to be the case and uh, um, and now obviously I've I'm really glad not to be involved in it, especially given what these leaders are facing right now. There are no right answers. <clears throat> there are, you know, there are just you, you have 30 percent of people that uh, are demanding more restrictions in the case of COVID. Thirty percent that can't believe you, you know, requesting any, and in the yeah. middle they're also upset about something. There's, I just don't envy anybody that's in leadership right now because, as I said, there's no right decision for them. I'm grateful that they're doing what they're doing though uh, so that you and I can, uh, can not, can not have to make those decisions.
3: Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, I think we've, we're far enough along now that, that anyone who speaks in absolutes is, hasn't been paying attention all the way along. And it's the right. nuance that, that is, you know, that's what the differences are in the nuance and, and, you know, to your point, I'm, I don't have professed ever, we'll have to want to make these decisions. We make them, I make them for a household of four and that's enough stress and pressure for me. I don't need it for
2: here, here. Yeah.
3: So. When you did step away in uh, in 2017, I guess internally you uh, you kind of had come to terms with that, and, and you knew what that was going to be. You knew it was coming, even if even if you didn't know what it felt like once you'd said it out aloud. Um, but I think there was uh, a reasonable amount of um, suspicion, if not expectation, that that there was more for, for Brad Wall uh, in in the political realm. And I mean, here we are, four years out or so, and and that just hasn't proven to be the case. Um, Did you, you know, did you have like a, I'm going to take 90 days, six months, a year to decide what this feels like for me, or did you know that day that that you were kind of on to the next,
2: the second act, if you will? I I knew that day, Gord. I mean, I would say to people, and I think, I don't think they thought I was being truthful or I was just being glib or something, but I, you know, when I would be asked in scrums, for example, media scrums, if I was going to, if I was interested in federal politics, I kept telling folks that I already have the best political job in Canada. Uh, I get to be premier of Saskatchewan. And for me, that was and is the best political job uh, in Canada. And I think they just thought I was trying to find a way not to answer the question or, um, uh, or to be glib about it. But um, that wasn't the case. It was the truth. So when i was done that job i was pretty i was immediately nostalgic because i realized that i mean that i did ha- that was the best political job in canada and i had it and um you know there there was a reasonable prospect i could perhaps keep it for a while longer but i just felt the, t- the the timing was right both for the government and for the people of saskatchewan and for me and my what and for my my you know my wife and i and our family what what i wanted to do so uh, no, I, I, you know, I'll say it again on this podcast, I just have no, I have zero interest in politics at another level. Um, I, I feel passionate about Saskatchewan still, probably a bit, uh, you know, a bit more so than I do about any other part of the country. So, um, and, and if you are going to run federally uh, and aspire to some, some leadership, uh, some national leadership somehow, for those that, uh, you know, are interested in that, there should be a there should be a passion that's uh, you should be passionate equally of, uh, about all the regions of the of the country and i'm always going to be biased in favor of the west and saskatchewan and i'm just not interested anymore i i did want to pursue i i wanted to try my hand in the private sector uh and pursue whatever business opportunities that i could i, I think i knew that i would I, I the aegis or the conveyance for a lot of different activities that i might want to do Post-elected politics was was setting up a, a company, so a, a consulting company. It's a, also a, maybe a tired old cliche: the former former anything, former executive, former former uh, pr- professional, former politician. You set up a, a consulting business, but it is a good vehicle to do a number of different things. I wanted to try. I wanted to see if anybody. I'd been given political speeches for free or for for 18 years, and and I was told that people might want to pay for that. I could hardly believe it. And my wife would always make the joke that she'd, she'd pay me to shut up, not to keep talking. But, but as it turns out, that was true. You know, so we put ourselves out there. I, I did privately, but we also got an agent uh, booking a, a Speakers Bureau in Canada. That we, we were on their ro- I'm on their roster. And that was part of it. I wanted to continue to write a little bit. And so I've done that in the National Post and some other more Western Canadian publications. I've always been interested in the uh, natural resource sector uh and so you know i i was interested in pursuing if there was an opportunity to maybe serve on a board or two that's in that space um and that i was very fortunate that that was able to happen and then i mean my biggest client for my consulting business turned out to be one of canada's national law firms who had reached out to me uh, very shortly after i was done actually after i'd made my announcement in august of 2000 17, I I announced that I wouldn't, you know, that we're stepping down. So then I'm now the lame duck leader until the party picks a new one. And I knew that, um, you know, I didn't know for sure. I thought, well, maybe someone's going to throw an offer to my way while I'm still premier. And I really can't see what those are. It's very important. I not know if anyone is offering me anything post-politics, because I'm still, you know, in my job as premier and we're making decisions. And I, who knows, some company might have made an offer and maybe there's some sort of decision that we're going to make that might impact their sector or that company and i just can't know about it we, we isolated all of those to the extent they were there. not that there was a giant pile of them that came in but a few did and um and, and i didn't look at them until i walked out of the building uh and a couple days later I opened the file and one of them was from osler Hoskin and harcourt a letter of interest and in. turned out we, we you know they they're basically my my most important client for my business and probably two thirds of my time is, is working on, uh, on government relations for them and clients or, you know, other issues that the, the firm has, but I also have some clients independent of that, uh, that, uh, want some advice around uh, government relations. And so the business has really done better than I would ever imagined. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, with the, even before the pandemic, I could do a lot of it from home, which I found out I also wanted to do. I traveled a lot in my old job and I'm, yeah. I'm kind of a, Turns out I'm kind of a homebody, so uh, so uh, that also worked out well. And I just feel blessed. I mean, the, it, like I said, the business has gone better than I thought it would, and I, you know, st- I enjoy working at it, and um, uh, and I get to be home more. We moved in the uh, during during this pandemic here, we moved to Cypress Hills from Swift Current, which is a beautiful place, as you know. Yeah. So it, it's easy if you're going to be uh, holed up somewhere doing work from a home office. Cypress Hills is a pretty good place to do it.
3: Oh yeah, uh, undoubtedly. that's um, and, and it's it's always laughed about uh, about the perception of Saskatchewan being so flat, and there are all these beautiful places. We we have a lake lot at Candle Lake, Saskatchewan, that's where we spend our summers. And uh, oh yeah, now- my mother
2: had a model up there at Nobles Point
3: yeah yeah so we uh you know we bring pictures back to everybody and they say holy cow look at look at what you guys
2: have granite outcroppings and all this deciduous forest And the rest of the country can hardly believe that the highest point between the rockies and the atlantic ocean uh is in is in cypress hills is in southwest saskatchewan and some there's an argument i think from an elevation standpoint maybe just over the alberta border because as you know we it's a park that that the two provinces share um, but you're right, there's a lot of things about our province that uh, when people see photographic evidence of it, they have a hard time, they have a hard time believing it's like some sort of Roswell, New Mexico thing, but for uh, for landscape and uh, elevations. what one of the
3: things I, I wanted to talk about, and you kind of brushed on I brushed on it a little bit was you kind of got the the politician's utopia. you You got to step down on your own terms. um uh, there wasn't you know, there was still an appetite for for the things that you brought to the table. <clears throat> and and there wasn't some scandal looming or you know you didn't you weren't defeated by some you know decision that you made that so does that weigh on your decision at all to when people come to you and you say no i I walked out on my terms and and the story for for brad wall's uh political career was was ended and authored by brad wall or or is it truly what we talked about and you're just you're completely done with that and, and this is the part that you're really embracing now
2: well, you know, it's both of those things. I, I did want to. I think it, it's important that for for politicians to recognize when it's time for them to go. History is uh, is highlighted by by political leaders who stayed too long. They don't have the issue in, in countries like the United States where they have term limits. Right. Uh, except for the, uh, you know, except for maybe the notoriety of finishing as a one-termer when you could have had two. But in Canada, we've got that issue where there's no such thing as term limits. And you can hang around as long as, some, you know, until the bitter, bitter end. And I didn't want the end to be bitter. Uh, right. I, I didn't think that was good either for the government or for my party, for my colleagues. I I, I just, so I didn't want to go out on my, my own terms. And uh, uh, I wanted to do it while I was uh, relatively young enough um, that I could pursue these other things that I wanted to. You know the other? The other interest of mine, and I've been I've been a sort of a wannabe rancher cowboy for as long as I can remember. I, I grew up in Swift Kern. My dad was a small business person in the trucking business, and but my grandpa had a farm, a mixed farm, just north of Swift south of Swift Kern, and my uncle later on farmed by Tompkins, Saskatchewan. And i I for whatever reason always had a keen interest in that stuff. And so, as it turns out, did my son, mm-hmm. who never had much exposure to it either. And so you know, a dream was also maybe we could partner up on some sort of a, a venture. And lo and behold, here in the last year, we've been able to get a piece of dirt uh, far from the Cypress Hills. And he's moved back. He was living in the U.S. He's moved back here now. And uh, you know, we're slowly kind of setting up. It's it's a yearling operation he wants to do now, but um, but in the long term, uh, he I think he'll probably want to do a cow calf thing. I could do as little or as much of, of helping. Yeah. <laughs> As, as i can i've told him look i'll be your silent partner i think he's doubtful that a 18 year politician type retired politician can be a silent anything but um i get to do that stuff so you got you know I, I get to be a part of it and uh, uh and that's probably the most <clears throat> as much as i'm enjoying the you know business development and all the other work i'm doing the thing that i love i'm enjoying the most is a learning about that industry and be participating in it and and uh, I wouldn't recommend that 55 is the right age to buy a horse uh and and to get a horse and, and to ride it regularly and try to learn it there's more optimal ages for you for people to do that that might save on the rub a535 and the and the advil but um it's fantastic it's great so uh, you know i've i've now gone down a bit of a rabbit hole on you Gord. but i guess the point is um i wanted to it's a little bit of both i wanted to Write the end of the story before the before it was written for me, and before I did damage uh, to the party or the government. Before I was sort of dragging, holding it back. But there was also a lot of things that I really look forward to trying and doing if I had the chance.
3: Well, and and the nice thing I guess about starting at maybe a little more advanced age—not that—not that fifty-five is old by any stretch—is—is um, is you get to maybe invest in some tools that you wouldn't have uh, been able to necessarily been a pri- make a priority when you're younger. I, I noticed that you're. Uh, invested in in a in a reasonably high-end saddle to to alleviate
0: some of the issues so so yes. you know okay. that's that's a
2: benefit I guess of waiting until until your mid 50s yeah that's the satellite referred to on instagram as the saddle that's too good for the rider i just it's sitting over in the in the garage right now and uh, I can't wait I haven't taken it for a spin yet. i'm waiting on stirrups I'm getting old man slope stirrups at help of these to, to okay. your point there's there's different assists now for the aged and uh, who is still on a ride so um, so I haven't taken it for a test drive yet, we're waiting on them stirrups, but um, you're right, uh, when I was sitting for that, it was interesting, Jim Parsonage is, the, is an amazing saddle maker from Battle Creek, Saskatchewan, which is just south of the Cypress Hills here, uh, a beautiful spot, and, um, you know, Jim had a couple of different saddle trees for me to before the process started to sit, and, and I thought, well, how am I going to sit, it happened to be during the late fall, and I came up with the, I'm a huge football fan. Probably what disqualifies me from federal politics is I, I like football more than hockey. Uh, so I, I, so that's a thing. But I thought, how am I going to, how, what should I do? How can I sit in these different trees long enough to find out which one I like? I thought, well, we'll, we'll do it watching football. So sure enough, I set up a bit of a saddle stand upstairs uh, where we have the TV. And for the first half, I sat one tree. For the second half, I sat the other and made my choice. So there's, a, so football has helped pick this, uh, the, the, my team, at Las Vegas Raiders, helped pick this saddle, and I, I can't wait to give it a give it a, a go.
3: See, it's the common sense problem solving like that 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 we need. <laughs> Anyways, the, one yeah. of the other things I wanted to to talk about was your love for classic cars. I have a friend in Brooks, um, and he owned a bunch of old classic cars, and he had a '53 Lincoln that was for sale a few years back, and he was telling me, showing me. <laughs> About that's, that's, this, Brad from Swift Current reached out to him and said, can you meet me in Medicine Hat to look at this car? I don't know if you drove all the way up to Brooks. And
2: I think he, I was um, on
3: my way to Calgary. We met in Brooks. Yeah. And he, you know, and so his, uh, his, his politics are very aligned with yours. So uh, that yeah. was, that was Gene Simmons showing up in the Walmart parking lot to look at his car as far as he was concerned. And, it, was uh, he a neat car. Thinking, it had suicide doors, as I recall, I think. Oh, yeah. Then, he's got, yeah. he's got, uh. Like all the, you know, the the boneyard, but the boneyard doesn't doesn't look like the one on uh, Rust City or whatever that out in boneyard The boneyards all, uh, yeah, the cars are in good shape and they're covered. But yeah, so so and then as I poke around about you know your your love for uh, for cars, uh, it see I see there's a there's a car that has an an interesting previous owner too as well in your collection.
2: Yeah, my collection's pretty limited. It's a collection of one. Uh, but I've always been interested in, uh, uh, in, uh, in old cars, muscle cars, especially, and I had, uh, during my time, while I was premier, I had a 51 shoebox Ford, uh, that we kind of got going again and, and, uh, didn't change much to, it was in really good shape and sold it to actually someone who was my agriculture minister, ended up with it, but sold it to someone that worked at the legislative building in security. And and I also had a 67 Dodge Cornette that started off its life as a 318 car. Uh, and it it became a 383 car after we made it a proper midlife crisis and you know I didn't do the work to it but there's a guy in SwiftCard who's Dr. Mopar and he's brilliant at rebuilding and and uh, tweaking out old Mopar big blocks. Uh, The 383 came from an old 1970 Newport custom convertible uh, Chrysler which was which I got from Quebec. I literally bought it on ebay for like i don't know 30 bucks or something and thought well this is brilliant uh, if it's in any kind of shape and it looks like it might be from the photos i've just it wasn't 30 bucks but super cheap I, we it got trained out to saskatchewan and um the top the the soft top uh the rag right top is a mess so i remember driving it it was late fall and cold and kind of sleep i'm driving down the road in this newport this was when i still had the other my in my old job driving down the trans canada get try to get back to swift Current from regina where it had cleared customs or cleared the where it had sorry not customs but where it landed and um anyway it became it was not a great car uh it, it was just not so i mean we rode it around a little bit and, and then uh, but it became the donor car for the 67 coronet for the 383 so i just nicely got the 383 done and uh um my son's in the music business and he was He's too, He was touring with Shooter Jennings um, and his and Shooter Jennings band, a band that used to play with Shooter's dad, Waylon Jennings. I'm a huge, and I have been for a long time, a big Waylon Jennings fan. Long story short, we just became aware of the fact that the they, one of Waylon's cars, the 73 Eldorado, was for sale, was available. And um, it had it, Waylon had owned it, put 50,000 miles on it, sold it or gave it to his son his son sold or gave it to his bait to whalen's bass player who was still alive, still is alive, was playing, still performing up until recently. And then he had sold it, I think to a guy in Arkansas and it was the guy in Arkansas that had it up on the, uh, uh, on, that was for sale now. So it worked out, uh, but my wife said to the point about having only one, Tammy said, look, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, you can only have one at a time. So I had to <laughs> sell the cornet and, uh, and all whalen's, Cadillacs in the garage it, you know if it wasn't for Wayland's I would never if it wasn't Wayland's I would never buy an Eldorado Gourd. it's some it's kind of a ridiculous car not just because of the length I like big long cars but because it's front wheel drive weird and it's yeah. a 500 cubic inch that spins about 280 horsepower really 500 cubic inches and you so it's probably the least efficient uh or you know efficient engine ever made by general motors and that's saying something i'm a mopar guy i think gm made a lot of inefficient engines high on cubic <laughs> inches and not it didn't always translate but it's waylon jennings dang car so it makes it the coolest car i'll ever own yeah
3: well and that's that's a that's actually like the, the story is just about as cool as it as owning the car because um yeah you know, it's it's it, there's a little bit of who you know in there, but it's not you through your political aspirations, right? It's, it's no. yeah. And, that, and that's the cool part
2: for me when I think about well, that, because it's and, and as a music nerd, the car's got a great history. I mean, Whalen's sort of seen as sort of responsible for the being at the vanguard of what they call the outlaw music movement yeah. uh, in, in, in the seventies country. There's a few Whaley and Waylon and Billy Joe Shaver and some of these guys just took country music in a different direction. And uh, the two, Waylon cut two records in 73 for RCA, a record called Honky Tonk Heroes, which is written entirely by, by a Texas songwriter named Billy Joe Shaver, who we just lost during COVID, and um, uh, and also Lonesome Henry and Mean another record. records. So those both went gold and RCA gave him this car as a gift for two gold oh, records. Okay. So I love the history behind it. I love the history behind the car itself and uh, he had three other eldorados and i've gotten to know waylon through shooter again Whalen's sort of personal assistant and and secretary still alive and kicking and a wonderful lady and she she verified the providence of the car and i wanted to find out did he ever drive it And she said yeah he did not it wasn't his favorite um, but cuz the other colors of eldorados were his favorite so but he did drive it she said and he put 50,000 miles on it i'm pretty sure he didn't put he didn't care as much about this one as others cuz the, the leather interior is kind of cracked up a little bit. I think he might have left the top down yeah. uh, when, you know, when, when it shouldn't have been left down. And I've had people say, well, are you are going to recover the seats? And I said, no, man. Look who, I mean, who, who might've sat, in Wheelie and Waylon and Johnny Cash, they might've all oh, sat man. right there. There's ain't Plus there's a big flying W on the back seat that oh, I lose yeah. if I made a change there. So I, uh, the, those seat covers will, will stay.
3: Oh, Oh one hundred percent there's
2: there's way more to
3: to that car's history than what it looks like in, in 2022 so you uh you mentioned um, your son's a musician and you know your one of your daughters is a is an artisan when I look up faith wall all I get is pictures of um, biblical sayings put up on people's walls so so I didn't see a lot on her that's a lot of creative uh, output for someone who has a political administration um, you know background and then obviously the politics that doesn't scream like hey i'm i'm the most creative guy in the world is, is that come from your wife or or are you that creative and you just chose something no. as a vocation that didn't belie that
2: the music stuff comes from my wife but she's a my Tammy's said an engineer civil engineer by training and um but very musical she's still right now she teaches music uh, and she's taking lessons she's take teaches cello and takes cello and uh, taking vocal lessons and and teaches uh, piano lessons. And so very musical uh, in our family. I mean, I, I, the kids would have seen me, I always strummed around the guitar for therapy and try my hand, write a few lyrics. Uh, My eldest uh, and I, we sort of finished a song, we wrote a, a true story about this, this great character in Saskatchewan history named Charlie Palmer, who was who likely uh, rode for, rode with the Jesse James game before he became a homesteader in Dundurn, Saskatchewan? It's a great book. story. So, I guess you know. I guess a little bit of that, but no. The music stuff comes from Tammy and our, the f- faith that you mentioned. She's she's working, uh, living in BC, working there, and uh, she's got her English degree. But has uh, she's written some uh, am- amazing transcripts uh, for uh, for short and I don't for short films. One that I've read in particular. Um, and so, yeah, they're all very creative, uh, they're, you know, and I'm I'm proud of every one of them, proud of all three of those kids. And we, for the first time in two years, we were all together at Christmas and it was fantastic.
3: I've worked in oil field now for for a number of years, 25 years, and I I have an engineering diploma, uh, petroleum engineering diploma. And my wife is, is a business major. And, you know, I, I see my kids do that. My kids are, are almost 14 and 11, and I see them do something creative, draw express themselves and i just think to myself man you have the whole rest of your life to do engineering uh, you know numbers yeah. that kind of stuff take the opportunity to nurture this creative stuff because it's so hard as you get older to circle back and and do that kind of stuff so it's really it's it's really interesting to see um you know the the, the creative expression that that uh, that your children have been able to put out into the world
2: i agree uh and um and there, two of them are making a living at it right now, or enough of a living is to that that they're happy, you know, they uh, and comfortable. And so, like I said, Megan with her pottery and and culture and music, and and I think Faith is going to be heading down that road pretty soon too. And even on the artistic side, now that I think about your first your qu- first question in this set, it probably comes from Tammy. She's also can paint and she can draw and. So most of that side of things come, you know, comes from her. Uh, she's got this great balance then of sort of the scientific, the sort of engineering mind, but also, uh, a, you know, a, an interest in and a real ability and skill in music and in I, I would say she wouldn't, but I'd say visual art. So, you know, they're a, a very good friend of mine. Uh, once said something I've never forgotten. His turn of phrase was, "We're only ever as happy as our saddest child," oh. and I've never ever forgot that. You know, because it's true. As parents, we could have, uh, if we've got, you have two, you say, you know, if you've got one of them that you know is just not as happy, where you know for whatever reason they're going through some tough things in their in their life. That's where our focus goes as parents. Sometimes at the expense of the kids that are they're doing okay. But it's uh, it, it's it's still the natural and I would say right thing to be focused on, on a child that maybe is not, you know, happy or as happy yeah. as they could be, because uh, that obviously commands mental health. And uh, when 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 we're all when we're happy, and so if we're at a place in our lives, whether our kids are 11 and 14 or young adults, where we can honestly say, the kids are happy that's uh that's a blessing that's as much I think as we can hope for and uh you know we're're we're, we're blessed to be able to point to that right now I think and and we hope that for others for for the reasons that I've mentioned because I think that my friend was right we're only ever as happy as our sadest child
3: Brad when I when I wrap this up I always like to talk with with the with the guest about was success when you started on this second act what what was success what did it look like in your head and what is it actually so far like you're talking about a lot of things that you know um, people don't have to be public politicians to to you know you, you talk about having a plan and thinking this is how far i can take this and it actually works out for you people can can do that in their everyday life whether they're they're a politician or, or anything else um, a lot of that doesn't seem like it's that much different i think the difference is is you were in your early 50s when you got there and you had all this life ahead of you you had to have a plan for, for what you hoped for that. Does any of it look like that? Or is it just something that you're finding the success on your way?
2: Oh gosh, here's the ultimate political answer. I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I did have a plan. I, I've always been a visualizer, you know, whatever whatever my pursuits might have been in whatever period of life I was in. Like for, for example, for politics, uh, I would visualize myself doing the thing that I thought I really wanted to do uh, right down to the finest detail actually uh, and and for this second act I guess I was doing a little bit of that but uh, and had a plan as we talked about earlier I, I had a you know sort of a timeline when I wanted to start a business for how long I wanted speech to making to be a part of that business before I didn't want to do that anymore I'm getting real close to that point uh, and um, uh, also some specific goals uh financially and and some and and i was visualizing myself not doing not not in terms of what i was going to be doing but where yeah where would i be doing them because where well where has turned out to be the cypress hills and also uh you know also before the pandemic getting to you know a few places with my wife that we that we want to see and so i think when you visualize something like that uh, it informs i really believe this and Matt, i i maybe it's a psychological thing I don't know I think if you if you are visualizing something in as much detail as possible regularly I think there's something subconsciously that drives you towards that that point uh and um in, 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 in that combined with a plan because you know I I don't think it's all mystical I think you got to yeah. have a plan yeah uh, but if the, those things in combination I think are pretty powerful and I at least have been lucky in my life I think it was a little bit of both
3: it's okay for it to be a little bit of both. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, uh, it's it's always interesting to hear people's take on wh- what they think the success look was going to look like versus what it actually is. And uh, it's it's always funny how you know people that have lower lower profiles um, when they at- talk about success, it's never about money. And people that have had higher profiles, it's never about money. It's always about finding. Like I'm making a big decision here to do something completely different. I'm not doing yeah. it because I want to make a bunch of money. I'm doing it because the thing that I wasn't doing wasn't leaving me to build it the other day.
2: Yeah, you know, and I, you don't have to cut this part out. I think it might be kind of important, but it's not necessary. I was still, it really, I, I was still very aware that that previous job was the best job I'll ever have, and it, that's how I view it. Yeah. But it's not a sad thing that I moved on. I just realized it would be important for people, my colleagues and for the government, for the party, and for me and my, my wife, to, for me to do something else. Uh, and so you know when you're when you're about to do that. I had a lot of people telling me friends and and uh, even some senior staff saying when after I'd made my decision and announced it, said, "Oh, you're going to be busy. You're going to do whatever you want to do. You're going to get this offer and that offer." And you hear that and you appreciate them saying so, but you don't know, right? I, I mean, I had no, there was no guarantee. I had there were no offers. As I told you, we kept whatever there was in that file that I never could look at. So I, you you just don't know. For sure, if this if these very uh, favorable projections and, and uh, uh, the people are making about you and prognostications for what's next for you are going to come true, well, you don't know that. Uh, and so it's a bit. That's why it's a bit of both. You got to kind of pull a pin, and start start something new. They pick a new, uh, the party picks a new leader, and there you are. You know, I was driving to. My wife did a wonderful thing. She gave me a great gift. She said, <clears throat> when you're done, when you're actually done, the end of January you need to get in the car, take our dog, we had a Border Collie, and go down to, there's a place we could go, could use in Phoenix, just go down there and sit, you know, uh, sit down there and think about things and enjoy silence. And that was a wonder. that was a, that was a great, uh, that was a great gift she gave me because I did a little bit of that. I mean, I also was working the phones already to start, you know, building a business. But, um, it was, a, it was a great gift. It was time to just pause and, and and reflect back on what I'd done, but also what would be next and get a little comfortable with the fact that I, mean, I didn't know for sure if this was going to work, if, the, if anybody would be interested on the business side or if there would be a company that wanted to work with me on the board side or not. But, uh, you know, it was a good time to just sort of decompress and reflect
0: and, and a great gift she, she gave me and the dog. I think uh, the dog enjoyed it, too what a great conversation with a guy who, who really just, um, it, it, it's so, so much fun to kind of not have a bunch of, uh, other podcasts out there with, with the guest that you have, because you really want to do a good job of giving, um, giving somebody like Brad Wall an opportunity to talk about the things that they want to talk about. And, and I think we did that here. You know, he, he talks a lot about, Um, getting into politics and and what that was about but then he really goes into the detail of what it was like transitioning out and talking about his family life and things that you know um people people know that his son is a is an accomplished musical artist but they don't know that you know he has an artisan daughter and and a screenwriting daughter that um are, are you know on their trajectory to a, a successful creation career and and he talks about you know how his wife fostered that artistic bent in those children and and you know obviously behind every successful man is a strong woman and and he kind of gets an opportunity to give her those props in in here and I'll, I'll tell you you know when he when he got back to us and said that he was interested um we we kind of sat around and and looked at the screen and went Holy crap! What what if what if this actually happens? What if Brad Wall actually comes on here? And uh, um, you know we just couldn't have been happier. Mister um, Wall was was just such a gracious host and talked about the things that he knows people want to know about him, and uh, doesn't give a lot of people opportunity to hear about. So um, just a super conversation with a guy who's. Uh, you know, got to go out on his own terms in politics, which doesn't happen very often. He got to talk about uh, his his family. He got to talk about his car, and it was just it was so much fun to sit down and talk with him. So uh, so just a great great episode. Really really excited to to have been able to uh, to pass this along to to everyone. We want to talk about um, what what we've kind of done here in the last little while because things are really starting to pick up steam with the second act podcast. I mean, we have some some really incredible guests next week is a is an olympian gold medal olympian uh from the pyeongchang olympics um alex kopach and uh and we've got a couple other ones um you know that we're we're not quite recorded yet so we don't want to talk about but but you know really cool names of people that'll be like oh no doubt that guy that girl that lady that person it's it's really a lot of fun and uh and we're just so excited to share this stuff with you we're you know, uh, this is 41 episodes, like we're, we're closing in on a year. And, uh, you know, I, I think we always knew we'd, we, or thought we'd do a year, but now that we're getting there to think we've done it this many times in this many weeks and, and put this much work into something that's, uh, just a labor of love. But I mean, we, we've seen some, some numbers that show that we're like in the top 10% of the personal journals, podcasts in the world. And, you know it's a huge number, but but it's the world's big, and we're in the top ten percent of that. That's pretty cool. Um, but that can be helped if you, if you guys can uh, can like and subscribe and and leave reviews, interact with us on Instagram, um, come and find us. It's just so much fun to to talk to people and see what's going on out there. So we uh, we end all these all the time by saying that there's no wrong answers and there's no test at the end. But man, I'm telling you uh the, the road out there in front of you can go forever if you're just willing to take it so make the most out of every day
1: the second act podcast we'd like to thank ben sound for the intro and outro music happy rock that is www.bensound.com we'd also like to thank chin whiskers for the promotional consideration you can find them at your local tommy guns original barbershop amazon or chin and we would also like to thank you for listening